Superfancast. My name is Chris, I'm joined by Matt, and this is Season 1, Interlude 3. Yeah, so, <laughs> just um, just just so everybody knows, I feel a bit like putty in Chris's hands right now, because he's told me who we're going to be looking at, but not exactly in what capacity or, you know, what we're going to talk about. It's just a musical yeah. interlude. We're supposed to be talking about Sturgill Simpson, but um, through a series of unfortunate events, uh, we had to postpone that for a week. So he will be in your yes. feeds next Friday, and for now you have this, whatever this is. Whatever this is. Also, um, just for the record, uh, there is a fun fair going on outside my <laughs> house. So you probably won't hear anything, but if you hear any sort of evil clowns laughing, then that's why. So I'm sorry about that. I've never told you, and I don't know if you can ever, if you've ever noticed, but sometimes when I'm editing, I can hear seagulls in the background. And that's definitely yes. not from me. So you, you sometimes have seagulls in the background. That's a nice sound. It's not. It's a horrible sound. Um, mm. They they live on my roof, and they're they're little <laughs> little bastards, <laughs> little they're, they're pests. And uh, I really wish we could do something about them, but we're not allowed to. Mm. So they're like the, the pigeons of the sea. Yeah, I guess they are. Yeah, but ex- except they're worse because pigeons don't try and you know wreck your stuff and steal your food and. Pigeons oh. tend to keep out of your way, but seagulls, they, they're, they're like Alfred Hitchcock evil. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't seagulls in the birds, were they? Uh, no, no, but they might as well have been. <laughs> that would have been a much less scary movie. <laughs> they're a seagull. Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if they're talking seagulls. Yeah, yeah. Just put all birds in there: penguins, flamingos, ostriches. Yeah, a couple of emus. Be great. Have you had uh, sunshine up your way the last couple of days? Uh, not really. No, it's been really windy because I live by the sea, as you, you might have figured out by now. Uh, so the wind is crazy strong up mm. here. I mean, you know, driving is a bit scary, a bit precarious. We had, um, well, I was in the office all day, but it, it was very sunny today. It was really nice. Uh, almost Shower. felt like late summer. It's right, it won't last. Tomorrow it'll be horrific. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm sure but I've been listening, been listening to a lot of country music lately, and I do find it harder to listen to country when the weather's really crap. Yeah, yeah, you, you want to feel like you're in the desert. Yeah, I want warm weather. You want to be outside in the hot weather. Because I feel that everyone singing country music is outside in the hot weather. Yeah, I think most of them are really, aren't they? Yeah, it's not been, not yeah. been great. Um, yeah. Big big news, since we last recorded, um, Manic Street Preachers are at number one. Oh, did cool. You know that? I did what, not know that. What decade are we living in? Uh, I don't know what you call it, the tennies? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think of the answer when I asked the question. Yeah, I don't know what you call this. Um, we're not in the noughties anymore i don't no, like the, saying the, the 10s the 2010s i think tennies but yeah that blew my mind i saw i saw an article um that manic street preachers are at number one and then i thought what radio stations are people listening to because i struggle with radio right and mm. the mainstream stations i mean what are the mainstream stations these days radio one doesn't well like when we were when you and i well we're similar age when you and i were you know mid late teens radio one used to be Kind of a little bit alternative, yeah, and you could hear a pretty broad range of music on it. Now, quite edgy, yeah. Whenever I put Radio One on now, it's just I don't know. It's just all dance music. It sounds like, yeah. Uh, maybe I'm getting old. I don't know, but I'm definitely not hearing Manic Street Preachers there. I mean, maybe I'm not listening to the right stage. Absolute Radio. I do listen to Absolute Radio quite a bit, but they're not playing Manic Street Preachers. Who's playing the Manic Street Preachers? Maybe it's some kind of viral marketing going on that we don't know about. I don't know. Maybe there's all these new stations that I've not heard of. That Capital, that was really big when we were younger. Is Capital still a station? Yeah, it's still a station. It's still, um, it's, 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 I don't think it's your kind of thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I actually, I don't want to, I don't want to steal any content from the Sturgill Simpson episode, but I was thinking about this with, with Sturgill Simpson as well, in that, you know, you see country, like there's a lot of big award ceremonies in the US, right? like the Grammys mm-hmm. and the, you know, whatever. And you see country artists winning awards. And I know country is, is very big in the US and in, in other parts of the world, in Australia. In the UK, it's not. But things like the Grammys are followed here. Mm-hmm. So we must be seeing that country musicians are very big. And what, what's happening with that? Do, are we just ignoring that bit? 
do the do the media just ignore the the country artists that win? Because there's no there's no country on mainstream stations here in the UK. Zero. No. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe maybe radio is just not a thing anymore. Maybe that's the maybe that's the point, and I've I've just missed that. It's it's all like YouTube and Spotify and stuff mm. like that. Do you think what people are streaming on Spotify doesn't reflect what people are listening to on the radio now? No, I don't think it does. Mm. I think it's a totally different world. But I I, I don't even know. I, I'm completely clueless when it comes to to popular stuff. <laughs> the charts is it's like a like a strange yeah. <laughs> strange parallel universe to me. Yeah, it is. It is for me mostly. Although actually, this week I did listen to someone who's very current. I actually finally heard Billie Eilish's voice. I oh, know really? She's like one of the biggest artists in the world now, and I just never heard anything by her. I didn't. I didn't know what kind of genre she was at all. But Rolling Stone really said top five hundred songs of all time. Instead, they've updated it since I don't know two thousand four or something. They last did it. Anyway, she she has a song on there. I'll get I'll get to where her song is in the list. <laughs> she's got a song on there called "Bad Guy," so I yes. thought I thought okay, it's about time I I find out what this woman sounds like. Get get down with the kids, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So I chucked on on her album from with that has that song on it, 2019 album, "When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?" And Good question. Yeah, I actually thought it was quite interesting and creative. I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. It kind of reminded me of some Imogen Heap, but not as kind of joyous and upbeat as Imogen Heap. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, cool. I, I like some cool vocal effects on there and quite a recognisable sound as well. I feel that certainly on that, I mean, I've only listened to that album, but I did feel that it had a consistent sound to it. Like it, you would recognise you would recognize a song by her. She's not too generic. However, she is listed, or not her, but the song Bad Guy is listed as number 178 greatest song of all time. Wow, that's pretty high. It's pretty high. Guess what 179 is? So less great than Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Oh, am I going to get really angry? Is Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. No, no, that's a, ter- <laughs> that's a terrible list. I'm sorry. No, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm closing this conversation now. I mean, that is shocking, isn't it? That is shocking. What, what, what is their reasoning behind that? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know how they put the list together. It'd be good to know how they put the list together, isn't it? I think... Um, I don't, I don't, do you ever watch South Park? <laughs> I used to, yeah. If it's an old yeah. episode, I'll know it. But... There's, there's an episode where they talk about how Family Guy makes its jokes. <laughs> they basically sneak into the studio, the uh, animation studio. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a massive tank with these Full two manatees. manatees <laughs> and they pick these balls that have got different words on them and they just put them in like a little... A little uh, on a shelf, and and those words on the balls become the joke. So maybe that's how Rolling Stone choose their list. Choose their list. <laughs> yeah, they get some <laughs> some animal like an octopus or something, like just grabbing songs. That one and that one. I mean, unless it's unless they're doing it based off sales, but I mean, comfortably no, none must have sold significantly more than. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Don't yeah, know. but then, but or then now it's numbers. I don't know. Now it's not about sales; it's about streams. Yeah. Because streams are the equivalent to sales now. It's it's a weird time. But yeah, even so, so more, more people may have streamed "Bad Guy" by Billie Eilish than "Comfortably Numb." But but yeah, I mean, either, even yeah. What was number I one? Know. <laughs> I don't know. Shall I, shall I try and find it now? It's top five hundred songs. There's there's some other dodgy ones on there as well, but you know this is the only one that I. This is the one that I picked out. It really wound me up. <laughs> well, it didn't wind me up. Actually, I saw her name and I just thought, oh, I need to check that out now. It's it's, it's wound it's wound me up. <laughs> we've we've only just started, Chris, and you've already wound me up. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm down to number eighteen. Oh, Purple Rain. Okay, I love Purple Rain. I love Purple love. Rain, but I don't know if it's the eighteenth best song of all time. I'm I'm happy that it's it's in the top twenty. Mm-hmm. Where should I go to now? Should I go to number four? Oh, it's not good. Number four is Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone. Um, I mean, I don't like Bob's voice, but I understand why it's up there. You know, it's very iconic and yeah. it's it's very historic. So number one... Can we do top three? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite an interesting top three. They're, they're three songs that... Okay, anyway. Number three is A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke phenomenal song oh nice and nice very good yeah, yeah really good I, I reckon that's well deserved 
and I, and I probably wouldn't have thought of it if you'd have asked me from the top three best songs of all time. Probably wouldn't have thought of it, but it deserves yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guy, the guy practically invented soul music. Yeah. No one compares. No one compares to Sam Cooke. Number two. Yeah. Straight. Yeah. I don't know where they pulled this from. Uh, Fight the Power by Public Enemy. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's so random. It's a bit random, isn't it? That's weird. Okay. I mean, no, no. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't put it that high. Number one is Aretha Franklin, Respect. Okay. I can live with that. Can you? The best song in the history of music. Actually, no. No, I couldn't. No. You know what? I mean, Comfortably no, Numb is better than that. That's true. Actually, I would put Comfortably I could. I'd be happy with Comfortably Numb at the top. I'd probably be happy with Comfortably Numb at the top. But then it's 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 very hard to 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 rank songs from all genres. You know, it's. I mean, those top three are for completely different eras, completely different sounds. Like, how do you even rank them? You know, it's it's. Yeah, it is hard. It's a hard job, but they've failed at it. <laughs> Yeah, they have. <laughs> they had one job. <laughs> Awful. Oh, Rolling Stone. But um, I, I don't mean in disrespect to Billie Eilish, um, because she's very creative and she's very young and she's already achieved so much. And she seems very true to herself, which I like. And mm. um, that's that's a very inspirational thing for a lot of a lot of people, especially young girls, I think. Um, they look up to her in that in that sense. You know, she's she's yeah. totally herself. She is. She's <clears throat> likable. She's definitely likable. She is likable, yeah, yeah. And she's got this. Uh, she's got the new James Bond song, but she probably recorded it about six years ago because the because the film's been delayed so long. So as well as Billie Eilish, who uh, you know I didn't listen to the album more than once, but uh, just thought I'd mention that. I've also been listening to a lot of uh, Marcus King Band. Do you know the Marcus King Band? Rings a bell. Mm, Marcus King is phenomenal. I think it was their th- third album called Carolina Confessions. And I guess people that are really heavily into their blues rock might might think I'm a bit of a... I don't know, maybe it's a bit obvious to listen to. I think that's probably his most successful album. And But whatever, it's good. It's it's really good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's bluesy rock, but it's very... You know, it's got lots of trumpets, in, lots of brass in it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very big. Neat. And I like it. And he's just an incredibly talented young man. Oh, and then also I've been listening to... Oh, I've been listening to a lot, haven't I? I've also been listening to Patty Griffin, um, her first album, Living With Ghosts. I've got a story around how I first discovered Patty Griffin. There was a documentary on, I think on BBC, it was on something uh, a few years ago, and it was a really cool documentary. It's a really interesting premise. This guy was, he was either on death row or he was in a, on a life sentence, and he was just sitting in his cell talking through his life, and it was just an interesting documentary, him explaining a life of crime and just some poor decisions made and mm-hmm. and there was a bit in that where uh, it was like a sad poignant moment and in the background was let him fly by patty griffin playing and i just thought that's such an awesome song and and i remember thinking at the time that's an awesome song but then i forgot how it went and i hadn't googled it at the time and so then i spent i spent ages afterwards trying to find online what this documentary was Eventually, I figured out what the song was. It was you know, Let Him Fly by Paddy Griffin, which was on that first album, Living With Ghosts. Um, and it's a really good album. It's, uh, it's really personal. It's just her and acoustic guitar. And, you know, the, the production of it, it sounds very like she's in your front room just, hmm. just playing to you. And it's, it's really, really nice. Yeah. It's a cool name for an album as well. Mm. So that's me. What have you been filling your ears with? <laughs> filling my ears <laughs> with? Oh gosh, that's uh, that's a bit personal, isn't it? <laughs> um, so what? Have I li- okay, so I've been listening to um, the artist who we'll be looking at after Sturgill Simpson, but I'm probably not oh. going to reveal reveal them now because that's mm-hmm. spoilers. They are from the Northern Hemisphere. That's all I'll say. So uh, you know, I like to go down my little rabbit holes on YouTube and Spotify. So I have. A young boy so i naturally am aware of kids shows cbb's that's that's our big channel kids channel here yep. in the uk uh so i managed to find a i think it's i think it's just one guy who does all the instruments and uh get this it's called slay dougie so instead of the the, the program hey dougie it's called slay dougie oh i and, get it i get it yeah yeah this he, he basically does heavy metal versions of kids theme tunes like current kids theme tunes 
and it's really brutal it's really quite scary and it's absolutely hilarious so i've been listening to that it cheers me up a lot because that was actually an idea of mine as as a creative project to do covers of kids theme tunes what's his target audience is he looking to appeal to kids or is he looking to appeal no. to the parents of kids i think i it's it's probably the parents right um, because cause if kids heard it, they'd probably cry. It's, it's, okay. it's, ter- it's terrifying. <laughs> so check that out if you if you have children and you you you're sick of all the CBBS programs and. I'm gonna have to check that out. I've been listening to some of Christopher Lee's music like because that. because uh, I've been watching Lord of the Rings again. I've watched it many times, and he's got such a great voice. And I've always wanted to listen to his music, and I finally got around to it. Um, and he's got all these Christmas, all these Christmas albums. Absolutely bizarre. Have you heard it? I have heard it. Yeah, I've heard. Well, the one that you sent me. Um, well, I've heard one of the albums. I can't remember what it's called. But... It's so strange. Um, but he's such a legend, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's he's he was in his nineties when he was doing some of this music, and and he really gives it a lot of gusto because he's yeah. off, he's operatically trained. Who he was. Um, <laughs> it's just great fun. So um, a more serious answer to your question of what I've been listening to. Well, with the Sturgill Simpson episode, I've been listening to anime theme tunes. Anime is relevant to Sturgill Simpson, which we'll talk about next time. And uh, one of my favourite animes is Cowboy Bebop, which I, I told you about. I think I sent you a link to the episodes. Yeah, and I, and I checked out, there was a, a original soundtrack, I think on YouTube, and so I listened to that. So not watching the show, it was really interesting, and it didn't, you know, it could have been... I think, I think I said to you, it could have been the soundtrack to Cagney and Lacey. But that's yeah, kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. It, 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 it does kind of sound like an 80s cop show. You definitely wouldn't peg it as this is the soundtrack to, a, to an anime series. And yeah. there's, there's some really fun bits in it. It was a little while ago I listened to that now. It was a week or two ago. I can't remember, but there was definitely it's a harmonica a, a yeah. tune with um, this Japanese harmonica player in there. And that's really cool. I can't remember mm. the name of that now. You've caught me off guard, but you know what I mean. Viewers I know what you mean. Know what I, mean but... <laughs> I do. I do know what you mean. Um, the the album's on Spotify and and it's really great. It's really fun. Then uh, the composer's a lady called Yoko Kano, who's done a lot of music for animes and movies. She's got a big. Sw- uh, it's like a jazz band called the Seatbelts. <laughs> so th- those are the guys on the soundtrack, and it's beautiful production. It's really nice. Really funky. And yeah, yeah, I guess it's interesting to listen to it without knowing the the context of the program. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is kind of like a western set in the future, and it, and it suits the program really nice. I was reading an article earlier this week about Paula Cole. It got me interested, and I ended up going down a rabbit hole like we normally do. Um, and, and doing some research on Paula Cole. So I'm just going to give you a bit of history on, on Paula Cole and who she is, and then we'll, we'll eventually get to the point of why the article was written. Some people listening may already know why the article was written, because there is a fairly current issue that involves Paula Cole. So Anyway, Paula Cole was born in 1968 in Massachusetts. Her parents were... Her mum was an art teacher. Her dad was a biology professor. But there was music in the house growing up. Her dad played bass in a polka band. A polka band called Johnny Pritko and the Connecticut High Tones. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Great name for a band. Johnny Pritko. Well, there was another band called Johnny Pritko's Good Times Polka Band. And Johnny Pritko is, it seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a local celebrity in Connecticut. Uh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He passed away last year, sadly, at the, at the ripe age of 83. But just on a, a bit of a tangent, Johnny Pritko, he, he got into polka music when his dad bought him an accordion at the age of 13. And then at some point in his childhood, their house burnt down and his dad risked his life and, and ran back into the burning house to save the accordion. Yeah. Were the family safe? Yeah, I think the family was safe. I think he got the family safe first, got them out of <laughs> the house and then realised, yeah. crap, I've, I've left the accordion. And he ran back in to get the yeah. accordion. I was, just, I was just wondering what his priorities were in that, in that case. <laughs> It was a bit of a one-liner. It wasn't a full article I read about how his dad ran back into the house, so I don't have all the details. <laughs> There's not a massive amount of detail about Johnny Pritko, but uh, I think all you it's need to know is that, that Paula Cole's dad played bass in a polka band that weren't just, you know, they weren't just mates down the pub. Johnny Pritko did release six studio albums. Yeah, he was a legit musician, I think. Mm. 
Um, I mean, he was a biology teacher, but, but he, he played bass in a legit polka band. And yeah, so I think that she probably grew up around a bit of music. Apparently her sister played, uh, played piano as well. And so they weren't, she wasn't averse to, to music. Mm-hmm. She, Paula, this is, went on to study music. She studied jazz, singing and improvisation at Berkeley <clears throat> College of Music. Yeah. And she studied nice. under Bob Stoloff. Have you heard of Bob Stoloff? I did. I did say to you earlier in the week that she was. She oh, studied was under the King of Scat. Didn't I? King of Scat. I thought you were talking about uh, Scat, Scat Man John. <laughs> that would have been great. No, Bob Stoloff. So this guy was appointed to Berkeley in 1983 to teach Scat. I mean, according to his bio, that's why he was appointed. It doesn't say that he was appointed there to to teach jazz singing. It says to teach scat. So vocal improvisation, I guess, is the correct term. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is basically what scat singing is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's soloing with your voice. Yeah. Um, there's loads of videos of, of Bob Stoloff on YouTube. does, like, workshops around the world. He does, you know, he'll, he'll go to... Rome and, and do a, a, a semester there to teach people vocal improvisation there he's there's loads of videos of him on, on YouTube and he is it's quite fun to watch you know because it comes so naturally to him watching him do it he mm. just you know he'll slip into it he'll be talking to the class and he'll just slip into it and it's just like a language to him yeah um, yeah but, um, nice nice yeah he's he's worked with some with some cool folk in the past he he I mean the notable one that I wrote down was he worked with Bobby McFerrin which is oh, really cool sweet. because I would never have you know, I, I'm kind of new to this. I don't really know much about jazz and and this kind of vocal improvisation. But I wouldn't have thought Bobby McFerrin's um, music is like. I, no. I know Bobby McFerrin's music, but and I know he does a lot with his voice. But I wouldn't have thought about that in the same category as someone scatting over jazz music. I'm I'm a huge Bobby McFerrin fan. Yeah. And uh, he's done a lot of jazz. I mean, his first album was just him by himself. Just just one one vocal track. Yeah. Him just singing. And his second album is the same, but live. And then his third album is layers of his voice. And there's lots and lots of scatting. Lots of very mm. nice things he's doing. It's it's absolutely amazing, you know, that you can do an album of just voice with no instruments behind you. Best impression I have in my mind of Bobby McFerrin is some shows he did with Richard Bonner. Um, mm, yeah, they're good. Really good. Really good. So to teach me, I mean, is that the stuff he does there, would you call that? Scat. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. scat is. He's like, making like noises. Say, they're not words. Yeah, it's 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 it is noise. It's just basically using your voice as an instrument, and soloing. You know, because in mm. jazz, there's a lot of soloing, and the vocalist can just go nuts with yeah. this weird language, as you say. Pretty cool. Yeah. So Paula got into jazz singing. <laughs> began singing at a few bars around town, and amazingly, as a student, just singing at some bars around town she got offered a record deal by a jazz label grp records and she turned it down she said she wanted to complete her studies and then she'd start thinking about her career so she turned down that record deal and then she continued to study at berkeley i've got to say a lot of famous musicians come from berkeley yeah like virtuosos and from what i've read a lot of them leave their studies early to pursue music because once you've got a deal then you just go for it yeah that's what you want to do yeah, yeah, she obviously good thought finishing her studies was more important. And I mean, it's yeah. uh, it panned out all right for her. Mm. So she completed her studies. She then moved out to, to California and started getting creative. She recorded some demos, getting her name out there. And she eventually got noticed by uh, Imago or Imago Records. Imago sounds better. Imago Records. They signed her in 1992 and she started working on her debut record, Harbinger. Mm. But wait, Matt. What? Somehow, over in Germany, Peter Gabriel got a pre-released copy of Harbinger and liked it. Mm. Yes. So Sinead O'Connor had been on tour with with Peter Gabriel. She featured on his album Us in 1992. So she was there mm. to, I guess, sing those parts and also any other any other female parts that yeah. know, from duets that he'd done in the past. She left the tour suddenly. I couldn't I couldn't figure out why she left the tour. Um, but it was unplanned, and Gabriel needed needed a girl, mm. so he, he called her up. Apparently, she woke up to an answer phone message from Peter Gabriel. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how I true read, that is, but that's... I read this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it works like that in real life, but that's what that's what it says online. So, so then she, yeah, she flew over to, to Germany and and then took over the final two legs of the tour, which is brilliant. Yeah, there's some YouTube videos of her singing 
you know the Kate Bush parts for yeah. that song oh, yeah, Don't yeah. Give Up Real. no I didn't I didn't look at any um, YouTube videos actually yeah I should have mm. checked that out yeah. it was great exposure for her so early in her career and right before her debut album was released so she hadn't even released anything at this point wow um, they filmed a video of the tour that she obviously featured heavily in and uh, they also made a live album and she was the main female vocalist on that live album the video called Secret World Live actually won a Grammy for the best long form music video nice and that's awesome isn't it I mean to that's have been the, the main female voice on this video that won a Grammy before she'd ever released any of her own music yeah, it's huge. So I guess that just you know gave her a name. People had then heard of her. And I set the stage for her the following year, 1994, she released Harbinger. Mm-hmm. And then, sadly, Imagio went bust shortly after her album was released. So I, I think that you know any kind of marketing effort from them it just disappeared, and so it didn't really do a lot, the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was noticed enough for Warner to then pick her up a year later and re-release the album. That's cool. That Imagio Records... Funnily enough, in 1996, two years later, I'm just, I didn't make any notes on this. It was just an article I was reading earlier today. Two years later, in 1996, so they'd already gone bust. <laughs> Maybe I should figure out the correct terminology of just going bust. But um, Henry Rollins sued them for like $40 million or something. Um, Henry Rollins, that's... Henry Rollins from Black Flag. Uh, that was it. That was the end of the story, really. Henry Rollins sued them for um, coercion and fraud and something else. Yikes. Yeah. Um, music business is a, it's a messy thing. Mm. So anyway, back to Paula. So Warner picked her up, re-released the album. So a year later, in 1996, Paula wrapped up recording and self-producing her second studio album. Um, and Warner were ready to, to, to make some money off her because, uh, well, we'll talk about that now, because, because the contract that they'd drawn up for her was uh, not very favourable to Paula. Mm. So the music industry... I hope, but you probably know better, is slightly different now. I'm led to believe that the early 90s and any time before that was a bit of the Wild West, and labels the size of Warner didn't get that big by being fair and altruistic. No, no. They they got that big by screwing everyone over and taking advantage of the fact that young artists didn't really know what they were signing or what they were worth. Mm. I think that's always the case. It's never stopped. Yeah, they must be more. They must have more rights now, though. Surely, the world that we're living in now—it's a bit harder to screw people the way that they used to get um, screwed. I think. I think so. I mean, the thing is, though, that the business model is changing so much. Like with streaming, um, instead of physical sales. So now they're trying to. The artists are trying to push for better royalties. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a big. That's a big uh, controversy with a lot of people. You know, artists get screwed over all the time. It's it's just it's just the way it's always been. Yeah, well, Paula Cole's contract with Warner, among other things, it included the fact that she would be recharged for all costs incurred, such as recording costs. Right. Um, you know, so Warner didn't take any gambles on her. Basically, you know, we'll we'll sign you, but you're gonna pay in the end for anything that we invest in you. <laughs> so regardless of whether you make money for us or not, you know, we're never gonna be out of pocket. Um, I don't understand the ins and outs of exactly the rules around that. But basically, from what I do understand is she can't pay it back in full. It, it attracts a level of interest. The, the, you know, the way it's built is basically unmanageable. Um, from Paula Cole's perspective now, and when we're talking 30 years later, she can't see how she's ever going to pay off the debts from um, that Warner contract. Even now? Even now, yeah. So oh she's, she's in a legal battle now to try and get out but this is not the first time she's tried to get out the contract. She uh, And just to put into perspective, she hasn't released anything through Warner since the mid-90s, but this contract still stands until she's paid back all these recording costs, which sounds like it's such an unfathomable sum in the way that it's calculated that she's just never going to get around to doing it. So um, so was this shocking. in... So this was was this written in her contract? It must have been. Yeah, so she's she's tried twice in the past to try and free herself from this contract but the legal costs i i guess warner have just got you know the money they can pump into a, a, a lawsuit like that is far greater than what she can afford to pump into a lawsuit and so it's not one, successful i'm wondering how how they would have worded it so she would have signed that because mm. that sounds 
that sounds appalling. Like I've never heard of anything like that before. Well, I, I think a lot of the time, sadly, there's probably a lot of small print that artists don't read. Do you not think? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure she did read as much as she could. <laughs> um, you know, the, these are huge contracts and, and, you know, I really don't like the, uh, the industry very much, you know, uh, mm. they will find ways to screw people over. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real shame. Uh, and then the other thing is that, um, and I don't know how common mm. this is, but Warner holds full ownership of the master tapes from the album, this fire, obviously her biggest album ownership of the master tapes means that you have control over what that music is used for and so she doesn't have a say whether one of her songs is used in an advert or on a mm. you know a campaign for a, a politician she doesn't support or anything like yeah. that because it's Warner's yeah. decision so she wouldn't get royalties either for that if she doesn't hold the master tapes is that right mm. um, I would imagine so yeah well that does explain something I'll, I'll come to a bit later then so uh, so not a great contract that she was she was in so then the final track on on this fire which is the name of that that second album which uh, which is what we've been talking about here uh, the the final track was I don't want to wait which mm-hmm. was released as the second single from the album it did quite well I don't think it did amazingly commercially but it did become a bit of an anthem and it got a lot of radio play and it was then approved to be uh, used as a theme tune for Dawson's Creek Yes. Now, there's quite a long story about the theme tune to Dawson's Creek. So that is what this article was about. Now, the reason I was reading this article was because Dawson's Creek is coming to Netflix. And (laughs) there's been a lot of talk by fans of Dawson's Creek about how the Netflix version is not... uh, In fact, the answer to this, I don't 100% know yet. And maybe it's not clear until it starts on Netflix in, in... uh, November, but the suggestion is that the Netflix version is not going to have Paula Cole's song on there. Mm. So, for the pilot of Dawson's Creek, they got an artist called Jan Arden into a studio to record a song called Run Like Mad, and she it wasn't even a full song. She recorded 32 seconds, which was what was going to be used for the show, and Sony Pictures, who, um, what's the word? Published Produce. Dawson's Creek? Produced that, Dawson's Creek. They paid Jan Arden a flat fee for 100% ownership. So mm. she received a couple of thousand pounds, a couple of thousand dollars and they can use Run Like Mad for you know, for any media they want. Now they mm. used that for the pilot. I think that I understand that the the makers actually had in mind an Alanis Morissette song that they really wanted. Yeah, it was um oh what was it Hand in My Pocket. Mm. Yeah, so they really wanted that, but then at the last minute they came across um I Don't Want to Wait by Paula Cole. And they spoke to, to Warner and they struck a deal. So that was what they used for six seasons of Dawson's Creek on TV. And that's the song that everyone knew. And then they released uh, Dawson's Creek on DVD. And everyone, all the Dawson's Creek fans noticed that on DVD, it had a different soundtrack. And the mm. soundtrack on DVD was Jan Arden's Run Like Mad. Ooh. So the reason for that was the deal that, that struck with Warner was that I Don't Want to Wait could only be used for TV no other media now apparently normally uh, you will negotiate a a multimedia deal so it could be yeah. used for you know, various different media um, yeah. this could only be used for TV so when they released it on DVD the uh, Sony were unsure of how well DVD sales were going to be so they didn't want to get into you know, get into another deal with Warner they didn't want to spend more money now they they owned Run Like Mad by Jan Arden so it wasn't going to cost them anything to use it so they decided to use that. It was also, and I don't know what countries, but in some countries, Dawson's Creek was was shown with Jen Arden's Run Like Mad. Again, because of the, the contract they had with, with Warner. Now we're streaming everything. That's another media that is not included in, in the deal with Warner. So it seems like Sony have taken the decision to to go with Run Like Mad by Jan Arden simply because they just don't want to pay royalties. Uh, they, yeah. You know, they, they don't want to pay for it, uh, which yeah. really screws over Paula Cole, but also screws over Jan Arden. They, they totally yes. screwed her over as well. Yeah, I'm sure she, she's she's uh, desperate for some royalties <laughs> by now. Yeah. You know. Well, she will be if, if that's what they go for on, on Netflix. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame for Paula Cole because it's such an iconic... Uh, uh, well, I think. Uh, do you agree? It's it's a an iconic theme theme song. Like it's it's definitely iconic. Yeah. 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 When when people think of TV of that era, <laughs> that's one of those theme tunes. And so then the other sad thing about this, if they do decide to drop, you know, four streaming services decide to drop Paula Cole, 
is that, and this comes back to the master tapes thing that, that, that you mentioned, that she wouldn't receive royalties. Now, Cole has recently decided to take back her master tapes. I mean, she obviously can't do that, but she has, she's re-recorded some of her stuff so that hmm. she now owns uh, master tapes um, of, uh, of her recordings. I understand Prince did a similar thing. Uh, you might have mentioned it in, the, in that interlude you did on Prince uh, after that label screwed him. Well, he, he, he basically set up his own label on the side, so he he had complete creative control. Um, and did he re-record that. his old stuff under the new? Under oh, the I new see label? what you mean. You know what? I, no, I, I, he didn't re-record it. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. I think he would have. He might have bought back the the master. Well, this is this is what Paula Cole's done. And actually, so if you go on Spotify, and that's the only streaming service I've I've looked at for this, and I'm sure it, it must be the same with others. But if you go on Spotify and look up Paula Cole, you'll find for certain track. I'm just doing it as we speak, actually. To to make sure I mm-hmm. correct information. Paula Cole discography. And if I'm scrolling through the discography now, I will find I Don't Want to Wait, Artist's mm-hmm. Preferred Version. Now that's Artist's Preferred mm-hmm. Version because that's her master tapes and that means she's getting the royalties if you stream that one. If you stream right. the one that is on the album, um, This Fire, she's not getting anything for it. You know, um, the, the Verve did this for Bittersweet Symphony. Oh, did they? Yeah, because cause you know how we talked about how the the Rolling Stones uh, manager screwed screwed it all over. Yeah. So they didn't get any royalties. Um, they they did their own version. Well, <laughs> it was their own, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, they yeah. did one that that didn't have samples from Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit more acousticy, and they released it for advertisers to use. Right. You know, for marketing as well. So they they got they got royalties for their version. Yeah, and they actually donated the money to to charity. I think. Well, I mean, Paula Cole set herself up as uh, you know totally independent artist now, so she hasn't released anything on a a decent sized label since well since the nineties. She uh, she released a couple of tracks, a couple of albums with Warner, obviously. Then she released two albums on Decca, but I mean Decca are owned by Universal, so they're still you know a big mm. name. And then since two thousand thirteen, then she's only released stuff on Six Seven Five Records, which I think is her. I can't, you know, I've done a bit of Googling. I think 675 Records is just her company and it only publishes yeah, her stuff. that makes sense. But um, I, I know that um, at least a couple of her albums, she um, funded them through Kickstarter. Yes, yeah, I saw that as which, well. Yeah. Which is such a great idea. Really yeah. good. You know, it's such a great idea that My Vitriol did that for their, for their <laughs> second album. You just thought you'd slip them in there somewhere. <laughs> it's your fault. It's your fault for bringing up Kickstarter. But that, that that is a great idea. You know, you're funded by your fans. Yeah, a lot a lot of Kickstarter I think is is quite pretentious garbage. <laughs> um, but if it's music, then it can be downloaded yeah. and just just sent out like that. You know, so yeah. and it's it's really nice. Some really nice stuff actually that she did on Kickstarter. Just to finish up on I don't want to wait. Uh, in two thousand three, Sony Sony Pictures released a two part series finale on a DVD, special DVD. And for that, they forked out for the rights to I Don't Want to Wait. And for those two episodes, the, the contracts they, they got with Warner was for all, across all media. So it does wow. mean that on Netflix, for example, when they show the series finale, it will have I Don't mm. Want to Wait. Even if everything right. else has Jan Arden's run like mad. It's really, stu- like, it's really stupid. And especially, so the other thing is, if, if they're doing this because they don't want to spend money on royalties, then the fact that she's an independent artist now... She's not going to be commanding what Warner were commanding, and they should be supporting people like her, you know, especially as she's been so screwed by the music industry and she's just doing it for herself now. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope they can strike a deal with her and 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 play her her artist preferred version. I hope so. This is definitely an example of why it's such a good idea for artists to to go their own way if they can. Yeah. If, if if it's financially viable, because you you have control over your own over your own artwork. This is this is her creative work, and it's it's a shame that it gets shat on by yeah. these big wigs. Yeah, they don't seem to care at all. They they just want to make as much money, whether that's from the fans or from the musicians. They they just want to make as much money as they can. It's very sad. So let's get into her music a little bit now that we've got that all that off our chest. It's a bit heavy, I know, for a, a bit heavy for an interlude, but I've got. To, I'll just say one uh, a thing about business. You, you, did you hear about Alec Guinness when he was doing Star Wars? No. And he he was the biggest star in the original Star Wars film, 
but I think he, oh no, was it him? No, he was offered, he was offered either a flat fee or royalties from, I say royalties, you know, is that the equivalent, um, from the merchandising. And because he thought it would be a bomb, he picked the fixed fee. And then, yeah, I know. And then Star Wars, obviously, like, <laughs> it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an absolute monster of merchandising. Yeah. Um, and he was absolutely gutted that he didn't do that. Oh, Alec. So, so getting royalties from your work is, is a huge, can yeah. be a gamble, but it's, it's definitely worthwhile in a lot of cases. Yeah, and, and for anyone out there who is interested in reminiscing and listening to I Don't Want to Wait by Paula Cole, just make sure you click the artist preferred version instead of the track that's on this fire, now the album. I did read somewhere that, uh, and I don't know if this is a blanket. It must be blanket across all across all artists, right? But is it zero point zero zero five cents per stream of a song? Yeah, something like that. It's it's yeah. it's absolutely embarrassing, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's a real shame. But now it's at a point where streaming, releasing music to to stream is is just a way of promoting tours. Whereas right. in the eighties and nineties, certainly the tours was a way were a way to promote the album it was reversed interesting yeah it's, it's all that. it's all it's all flipped now it's it's all about live shows and that's why live shows are so expensive and that's why they push merchandise at the shows as well yeah because that's how they get their money they, they don't get money for for streaming i mean i mean they do get some but yeah it's it's not worth building a career around yeah did you? So you listened to quite a bit of Paula Cole. I didn't. I haven't listened to many of her albums, so I can. I can probably list mine. So I've. I mean, I listened to her first two albums, Harbinger and This Fire. Um, mm. I mean, This Fire being her most successful, and it is a really good album. I, I really like a lot of it. She's got a really unique sound. I like her sound. She sounds like she knows herself, and she doesn't care too much mm. about you know what other people think. There's definitely some questionable lyrics in there. I didn't write. I didn't write any down, but like, um, where have all the cowboys gone? Has got some really funny lyrics in it. <laughs> um, like, like, well, like, like it's not meant to be funny. I don't know if it's meant to be funny or not. I just, I don't, I don't think it's. No, <laughs> I, I did think that actually with some of the lyrics. There's a track on there. I think at the third from the end it could be called "Feeling Love," which was also on the soundtrack for "City of Angels." That is an awesome song. Really mm. awesome song. I definitely check that out. Just really good. I, I could imagine like Minnie Ripperton singing it or something. It's really like mm. uh, just sexy and I like. I don't know. I'm not very good at describing. Not great having a music commentary podcast and not being good at describing what a song is like. But <laughs> well, you um, said sexy, and that's that's <laughs> that's going to sell it. I think yeah, nothing else good. does. Listen to it. Feel in love. Um, and then I don't want to wait. Is a, is a brilliant tune. You know, and, and maybe that. Maybe there's a bit of. You know, because I heard it at that time in your life when you're very, you're very doughy and malleable, and it's probably left an impression on me. But uh, it is it's a nostalgia. It's, it's nostalgic. It's no- yeah, yeah, it's nostalgic. Yeah. Um, um, and there's some other good songs. I, I really, I do like that album. It's very listenable to me. Um, uh, it's it's easy listening. Definitely easy listening. I could have it on the echo, reasonably quiet whilst we're having dinner, and enjoy it. Hmm. Um, and then I and then I skipped really far ahead and I listened to Seven, which is her seventh album probably guessing about 2015 something like that i could be really wrong but okay yeah it was her seventh album that was on 675 i think that was produced by her and then and then released published by her and that's really different that's really acoustic-y and more folky almost it's still nice it's a very different sound i think i prefer um this fire um, but I didn't listen to anything else. No, I, I kind of got kind of got lost in a hole of reading about what happened with this song. Yeah, yeah, and it's depressing to read about it, isn't it? Mm, yes. um, so I, I, I had a bit of a binge. Um, I listened to Harbinger, This Fire, Amen, which is it's it's very the lyrics are very much focused on a I guess her Christian beliefs, which I wasn't aware of, but it's it's all very it's all very raw gospel themes um but similar similar sounds to this fire it's a terrifying album cover it is it is isn't it yeah 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 it's, it sounds it looks like it looks like it should be the cover for um lingua ignota's caligula <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or like she's trying to be like marilyn manson or something yeah it, do, yeah, um, it does look a bit like that doesn't it yeah so for, yeah for those who, who can't be bothered to google it it's um 
Oh, I'm, I'm I'm going from memory here, but it's her, isn't it, with a crown of thorns? And there's, there's it's it's not really a crown of thorns and blood, but it kind of it oh. makes you think. Of, no, but it makes you think of that. That's the thing. It is. It is. It's oh, got I that see. sense yeah, yeah, about I've just it. Looked at it now. There's no crown of thorns at all. No. no, but it looks like it should be. She's definitely yeah. got a Jesus look to her. Yeah, definitely, definitely um, some kind of. Um, I totally Catholic. made up the crown of thorns and blood, didn't I? Just made it up. Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. Um, I listened to Courage, which is it's got a it's got some big red lips on the front. That was interesting. It's quite it's quite experimental. Her jazz background is coming through there quite a bit. Quite um obscure song structures. You know, quite interesting. Um, Ithaca is probably my the album that I liked the most. The production is absolutely gorgeous um like the cleanest piano i've heard in a long time <laughs> really good really good anthems like i think she's really good at writing melodies yeah that you can imagine people singing along to i'll, I'll give her that then raven which i didn't like it's it's really i found it quite depressing it's it's uh it's, it's quite sparse there's, mm. n- there's not much going on and and her her voice and her lyrics they're they're quite they're quite depressing i think sometimes she she's very emotional yeah um sometimes i think this is i guess her, my criticism of her but maybe it's because she's not my kind of artist uh, i feel like she's never really having any fun with her music you know oh, really maybe that's just the impression i get but it, it it just feels very like she's put all her blood and sweat and tears into her into her craft and she's just so like strung out and you know it's it's so heartfelt and so raw um oh see i think she i think she's both of those things i think she is putting her blood sweat and tears into it and i'm i'm speaking mostly for the first two albums here because i haven't listened to the to the later stuff like you have but she mm. she is putting her blood sweat and tears into it but i don't think that means she's not having that she's not having fun yeah maybe it's just the impression i got and 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 her lyrics are really serious topics that they cover really deep deep issues i think about domestic violence and women being treated treated badly and people on the run from from danger trying to overcome uh, obstacles in life but then you know when you tell me about this stuff about the the contract I can kind of see where that's coming from you know she's she, you know she must be really <laughs> she must have a lot of resentment about that or maybe not anymore but <clears throat> that must that must drive a lot of her lyrical themes I think um, I also listened to ballads which is it's, it's basically a jazz album like jazz covers or jazz standards and it's really nice really pretty Obviously, they're all ballads. There's no like up tempo swing stuff, uh, which I would have really liked to have heard. You know, when you told me about the King of Scat, I was Pop like, stuff. "Oh, I hope there's, I hope there's some scat going on." And then, <laughs> and I didn't hear any. I'm gutted. But I guess that's not her style. Um, it's it's an interesting sound that she's got overall as well. Like you say, it's it's there's some folk rock, but there's occasional blemishes of jazz creeping in. Mm. Her voice isn't very jazzy. I don't think um, it is in ballads and in courage, I'd say, mm. but it's 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 its own kind of sound. I think she's definitely got her own kind of sound, and she has got a, a recognizable sound, her voice. But also her, and, and you might know this better because of because of the the breadth of music that you've listened to of hers. But um, I think her voice and her piano is is very recognizable. So in Mm. Seven, I didn't hear that so much, but certainly in the earlier mm. stuff, um, there's a lot more piano. She has, a, yeah, she has a recognisable sound, but it's not something that I listen to when I'm feeling really upbeat about life. <laughs> right, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I get that. I get that. Yeah. As I say, it's 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 very deep, raw music. You know, later on in her career, she sounds a lot more like she's she's being her own artist. You know, I guess because yeah. that is exactly what happened. She's she's pursuing her own path. You know, some interesting sounds going on. I mean, if you if you if you studied at Berkeley, which is like the top music school in America and one of the top in the world, then you're gonna be able to cover a lot of sounds and and techniques. And and her voice is really good as well. Like she can do a lot of she can she can cover a big range. She can cover a big range. Yeah, I noticed mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. No scatting though. So disappointed about that. <laughs> yeah, but no scatting. I mean, hopefully, she'll do a scat album. <laughs> She's got an album coming out this year. I don't know if it's out yet. I don't think it's out yet. Um, called American Quilt. Yes, yeah, I heard about that. Mm. I don't know enough about it. I think she, I think she does a lot of covers, a lot of um, genres in that one. 
Mm. And that's the other thing with with it not being released on a major label, just being released by herself. The, the information that you'll get about it before its release is is going to be limited. We'll just have to yeah. wait until it comes out, until it's available on streaming services or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Paula Cole. Enjoy doing a bit of reading, and hopefully, hopefully, um, you'll get get what you deserve in time. Yeah, well, I never heard of Paula Cole until a couple of days ago when when you you mentioned it to me, and I was like. Where is this going? <laughs> um, so, you know, it was an interesting lesson, um, but it's definitely interesting hearing about all this, yeah. all this drama and um, controversy yeah. with, um, with, with, with the music business. It's, it's, it is a real shame that the way that, the way that it works and screws people over. Next, next interlude that we do, I'll try not to make it so dark. We'll have, a, we'll have an upbeat one. Uh, it was it was yeah. between you know I knew we needed to delay Sturgill Simpson by a week so I thought what can we do quickly and I thought I don't know if we're at that point in the podcast yet where I where I'll force you to do a my vitriol episode so <laughs> next on the list was was Paula Cole <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah maybe you were just feeling particularly dark lately yeah yeah really but, angsty but that said I you know listen to those first two albums of hers I, I really like them I will I will continue to listen to them um so i'm glad that you know i'm always i'm always happy to hear new music you know new to me so i'm really glad that someone uh, discovered someone new yeah yeah if there's anyone that you want us to do an episode on or do an interlude on uh you know just if there's an interesting story then then let us know on one of the channels on twitter don't need to tell you all of the handles it's superfancast everywhere twitter facebook <laughs> patreon <laughs> um, or superfancast.outlook.com thank you for joining us again and i look forward to you joining us in a week's time for our Sturgill Simpson deep dive stay safe keep rocking we'll see you next time toodaloo